once forged in the fires of PR and journalism, Curtis Dewar and Corey Westbrook united to create C-Squared. Now on our podcast, we interview musicians and other industry professionals to give you an inside look on how to take your music to the next level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the C-Squared Podcast. This is your host, Curtis, with my co-host, Aaliyah. And we are here today with Archie Kane, who recently Hello. released a single a few weeks ago. And we're going to be talking to him about that. We're going to be talking about a bunch of other things. Um, basically, we are going to be digging up the dirt and uh, putting him under the microscope, the radar, that type of thing. Just kidding, Archie. Um, so first of all, Archie, thank you for being on. We really, really appreciate it. And Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So first question um, is over to Aaliyah. So oh, Archie, can you give us a brief nutshell version, just introducing who you are and what you do in the realms of metal? So it all kind of happened because there's only one thing I am could be said to be remotely good at, which is singing pretty much. Um, and not in like a tooting my own horn kind of way, but I have very little other discernible kind of productive skill. So <laughs> that's pretty much um, where that came from. and there wasn't really a time in my life when I wasn't singing. Um, I started very young um, in kind of singing lessons and school choirs and so on. And it just worked for me in a way that nothing else was. So fast forward to now, and I somehow have uh, an album coming out with two of my favorite singers ever, Damien Wilson and Diana Vachiersberger. And, um, yeah, it's all just kind of happened. So, cool. do you, is this your first time like doing music? It's my, it's my first re- first release. Yeah. Wow. Um, Curtis, you want to take the next? I do, I do, but I, I have, I have a quick question. Just, just. Well, no, I'm gonna. I'll, we'll get into it later. Never mind. So, let's find out first. How did you get into metal? Um, it. Nightwish. I tell you, it was back in. Um, uh, the MySpace days, you know, and obviously everyone could have like videos or music videos, whatever on their page. And I scrolled past one and it had uh, Why Your Lips Are Still Red, the one mm-hmm. which Marco is the lead in. And um, I saw this is really cool. I'm going to um, look them up by which, of course, back in those days, um, it was going down to the local HMV and um, HMB, HMV and trying to find a Nightwish CD. And it was their um, highest hopes, I think, best of album. So from the Thai era and it was, I was just hooked. And so just started to explore more of this kind of type of music. Um, Cause I was initially listening to the Thai era, but they were in the Annette era kind of at that point as well. So I had these two different versions of this band and I think it fit really well because I was already really into like musical theater and classical singing and um, the kind of emotiveness and vocal stylings of both of those things fit really well with like symphonic metal and power metal. So it was almost a natural progression uh, in a way. Cool. Um, so how did you kind of, okay. So maybe, um, how do I phrase this? Sorry. I've had a long morning like Olivia had said, so bear with me here. So, um, Nightwish, but mm-hmm. how did you also get into the other, symphonic metal band which I assume you're also into because I mean everybody starts with Nightwish it seems like so kind of like how did you evolve beyond Nightwish 
Um, it's pretty much a, a case of just coming across things. Like I, I find it really hard to like films or books or music to fully engage with something that's completely new to me. I've got the yep. attention span of a gnat. So it's pretty much a case of if something kind of passes my ears on the screen or whatever, and I like it already enough to then be invested in what that track is. And then, so I think the next one for me was, um, the next big thing that got me was, um, Oh God, what's it called? Um, I'm completely blanking on the band's name, which is insane because they're massive. Uh, they had Roy Khan and now have Tommy Karavik. Camelot. Thank you. I don't, I, I've had a long day. I took a nap <clears throat> earlier and I still haven't probably woken up since. Um, like, so yeah. And it was that um, performance of The Haunting with Roy and Simone from Epica. And I just thought, you know, this, this is my shit. Like, this is really cool. Oh, that um, song is so iconic. It, it, isn't it right and um so yeah it's just kind of gradually widening experiences each time of the kind of circles that these bands move in pretty much and cool. yeah cool cool um okay i got something but it's for later so i'll let Leah do the next one okay. can you delve a little bit deeper in your history as a musician just just singing like how you got into it and your development as a musician yeah, so I was um, I was uh, like a theatre school kid, um, not like a big kind of professional training school, just a kind of Saturday mornings when you're a child, you go off one hour singing, one hour dancing, one hour acting. Um, and I was really fortunate in that my first ever singing teacher back when I was about six was a retired opera singer. So I had really good habits kind of beaten into me almost at a very young age vocally. And it wasn't something I paid much attention to at the time, but looking back, I can see that it was definitely a, I mean, not necessarily a skill, but uh, uh, I was predisposed to do it well. Um, and ironically, the first time that I realized I was doing it well and really liked doing it well, it was actually, we did, um, we did high school musical um with this um stage school and i was troy bolton so i got to sing the lead which seems hilariously unlikely looking back now um but i i noticed that i was having a kind of a lot of vibrato a lot of a really rich kind of belty sound um that i was hadn't been kind of consciously aiming for because i didn't really have words for those concepts but the kind of general habits that I'd had instilled in me just from whenever I'd started singing lessons were kind of naturally resolving. And I guess combining with the fact that I was, there was luck of birth in terms of what the inside of my throat was shaped like. So uh, it all just kind of came from that. And then I went to, I dropped out of school before uh, doing the last couple, the A-levels we would have here. Um, and I actually went and did a diploma at a music college started a degree but dropped out of that and now i'm actually back at uni again uh, music school but um of course i'm 30 so i feel rather like gandalf among the hobbits but um it's really cool to con continually go back to like vocal training and education and continually revisit things that i've done before because you know there's always either a new aspect uh, that you haven't fully appreciated before or also you know i believe you, you you have a different voice every day almost because it's such a physiological thing that it's so inbound with your kind of emotional state your physical activity etc so 
I am a different singer than I was yesterday, than I was 10 years ago when I first did a diploma, than I was however many years ago when I first had singing lessons. So it's something you never stop learning about, I think, which is, you know, when it's the one thing you're good at, is really cool for me. Yeah, for sure. I think there's never a, a, a time where you know everything. The more you know, the more you, the more you realize how how much there is to learn. I always yeah. come along with that saying. Yeah, the more the more I know, the less I know about it. Definitely, right. <laughs> the more I learn, there's things I don't know anything about. So, I I want to kind of I know your next question talks about the story of the album, Aaliyah, but I kind of want to like ask about the story of the single, if if that's okay, because yeah, sure. uh, like. Can you kind of tell us about the single a little bit? Because that's that's what's out right now. So I'm just curious about that first before we talk about the album. Yeah, sure. So it and obviously it falls within the kind of album as a whole, but if if um which is all very much kind of story based, but um the point at which the single happens is um just after a big kind of well, basically the character dies. Um so and then he finds himself somewhere completely elsewhere um away from a really quite miserable world he'd lived in as a living person uh, mm. because that's what you know people do when they live places and um he finds himself in this kind of magical other land presided over by this angelic type figure which is sung by diana and so it's really a song for me i think of like hope after despair when you didn't expect to find any like a kind of triumph the audacity of hope um and that and it really sticks in my head cool 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 um i'm just trying to think if there's anything else i want to go over with that so no i think that's fine i'll, I'll let alia ask about the rest of it um so what can people expect uh musically through from this album do you think that the single is a good representation of the entirety? Is there more to it than that? Um, yes, to both. So um, it's with I'm because the song was written. Well, the songs were written by me and then my oldest and dearest friend Bo Wild and their wife Holly Nickel. And out of the three of us, I am the least. I have the least musicianship. Like I, I'm a singer and I know my way around kind of music, but actually, lots of the nuts and bolts of it are not provided by me because I don't know nearly as much uh, about it. So I couldn't identify, say, a suspended chord if it hit me in the head. But um, lots, you know, Eden is definitely, I think, one of my two favourite songs from the album because it's quite anthemic. Um, there are symphonic elements throughout the album, um, some ballads, because, as I said, I grew up on Evanescence and Nightwish, so there were going to be some ballads if it killed me. Um, but yeah it's it's very much a concept album so there are themes which kind of develop and are present through it um but yeah it was all based on a short story so we kind of broke that down into what are the parts of this that are individual songs and then what is the tone of those like what's the feel what kind of instrumentation um Bo and Holly are uh, keys players, uh, particularly, so lots of the album is quite synth-led where you would otherwise have kind of electric guitar-led songs, uh, which I really like. But we seem between us to have kind of picked up, um, not picked up, um, developed a kind of symphonic pop rock type of feel, um, which I instantly recognise as ours because I've been making music with Bo particularly for, God, what year is it now? 
for like 12 years. So we know each other's styles uh, really well. Um, but yeah, I think it's its own thing, but it's hard for me. I forget, you know, people ask you to explain your work and suddenly I just completely blue screen. Like, I understand it's, 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 it's complicated to explain it. I mean, that's why it's music and not words, but yeah, because like it makes such it. inherent sense, like in my head, but then having to actually take it out of that is, right, is... articulated is yeah. Yeah. I understand. Um, what was the recording process like? Um, that was really cool because it was all really uh, international and virtual. So it really started in a big way. Um, if I backtrack a bit to the composition over the first lockdown we had here. And so um, the composition of it even was Bo and I having lots of Zoom meetings or um, calls over Messenger or whatever and sharing a Google Drive with logic projects and um, lyrics and everything in. So that then kind of developed further when uh, all the instruments were tracked in Paraguay, uh, pretty much. So Bo and I had put together, um, I say Bo and I, mainly Bo and Holly, and then a bit me as well, had put together um, like MIDI demos orchestrated for all the tracks. Uh, they then got um, converted from Logic into Pro Tools and sent off to Adrian Benegas in Paraguay, who, along with his colleague Diego, um, either put everything through better VSTs than I have or retracked the instruments and then sent it all back. Um, I did my vocal recordings here. Damien did his vocal recordings uh, elsewhere in a studio in a different town that started with a W and now I can't remember it. And uh, Deanna recorded her vocal parts at Sand Lane Recording Facilities in the Netherlands, um, overseen by Joost van den Broek. And then um, Joost also did the mixing and then Jostriesen at Sand Lane mastered it. So it spent the whole time kind of bouncing from one country to another country. So, you know, so thank God for the internet, really. Yeah, it's the epitome of what everybody's had to, been forced to do due to COVID, but sometimes it, uh, it also makes the world a lot smaller. Yeah, it's made things um, really easy for me in terms of, because like I've, there was only one occasion I had to actually leave my house to work on this, which is to do my own vocal recordings. Um, in fact, the singers are the only people who didn't have to do their parts in, in their own houses or, or their own studios because... Yeah, because the room yeah. space matter, matters so much more in the microphone. Yeah, yeah. Whereas um, lots of the, you know, Adrian has a studio that he works in already to do lots of his own music. Um, and he collaborates with other people as well like um I initially heard of him from my friend Pete Warcliffe who's an incredible like symphonic metal countertenor and um his last single Adrian uh composed with him so I kind of knew of him through that and but yeah uh, Bo and Holly have their own home studio as Adrian so the singers are the only ones who had to go out where someone had um the full like voice recording set up because it's not always convenient to have that in your house like I'm sitting on my bed at the moment because it was the clearest place and the dogs won't jump on me here. So Nice. So I want, uh, there was a question that we didn't have on the thing, but um, I want to talk about the art for a second because I looked, yeah. I found outer. Um, I'm assuming this is the final art. What mm -hmm. the fuck is up with the art and what is it? That is... Um, wait, hang on. Um, this art... I can't see it, but it's it's got like a creep. Yeah, it's got, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. That's yeah. It. So, so, what's on there? <laughs> so, um, the art. So obviously, the main kind of protagonist of this album is a a, a boy called Tommy, 
it's what's called okay. Tommy and the Angels. And um, so I, when I got in contact with Sam Hales, who did the artwork, we basically just, I sent over some MIDI demos of songs for the general vibe, discussed a bit kind of the story of what was happening, and then pretty much just left it like at that. Uh, no particular kind of design brief just this is the feel of it this is what it sounds like and he kind of produced this um there's a point in the story of the album towards the end where the kid is um like waiting in a graveyard and so i think that was definitely the inspiration for this because there's a kid with a lantern in a graveyard um and then the big scary thing i always think of it as a dementor like in harry potter but um it could be you know, it could be lots of things. It, it could be the, oh, I don't want to give too much away of the story of the album, but like there's, there's things in it that to the character are scary that it could represent. And there's also things which actually are kind of nice, happily ever after type things, but when first encountered look scary. And so I think it's just, you know, if I had to look at it and make just one instant thing, it's, you know, He's alone in his circle of light that he's got for the candle and everything outside it is dark and terrifying because sure. the small boy in the world is uncertain. Like, <clears throat> fuck, I, I'm, th I'm 30 and that sounds like most of my interactions with the real world anyway. So, you know, 12 year old so, Tommy. Yeah. So you wrote the lyrics, correct? Um, Bo and I... Bo and I wrote the lyrics together. Some songs, the lyrics were just me. Uh, some songs, the lyrics were just Bo. The general big picture is that it was um, all of us kind of together with varying levels, depending on the track. That's that's what I was going to ask you about, was just the big picture, like in terms of the concept, like you, Kate, that was your idea on the concept? Or was it like concept, yeah, concept was me. Um, and it's quite stereotypical, but it, it, it came to me in a dream. Sure. Um, specifically, the melody of uh, the epilogue came to me in a dream. And um, I was walking around for ages humming it, and the rest of the album grew backwards from that. Well, I first I wrote a short story because uh, there were things like happening with that tune that I dreamed. And um, so I wrote a short story to try and account for kind of all of this. And then I thought maybe I should make something more musical out of this. So that's when I said, sent it over to Bo and said, would you consider getting involved in, in this with me? Um, laid it all out and then, ta-da. Fair. Um, so, Okay, I'm not a songwriter or anything like that. I'm not a musician or anything like that. So forgive me if this is a stupid question. Um, I'm just prefacing this right now. So what kind of comes first, the music or the story in a concept album? Because I honestly don't know. Like, yeah. I guess it's a concept, so you come up with the con. Like, what do you do? Mm. I, like, eh. I can't speak for concept albums as a whole. For this Fair. one, for mine, uh, it was in practical kind of linear time concerns the concept came first because it existed before the music did um if i were to approach it kind of straight off the bat without a kind of narrative idea in mind then i don't know i've always been in my own tastes i've always been a slightly more melody than lyrics inclined person like as a as a listener of, of music um so maybe that would be but i don't really know because that's not how this has happened and actually you know after this there's an ep coming out which is both uh 
covers and originals and then after that there is another concept album which is already in production and that too started with a narrative basis to it uh, which then sent over to Bo and said let me know what you think about the kind of song divisions of this would be and then we'll work on that so yeah okay. but it's ironic really because I never liked short stories and I could never quite see eye to eye with concept albums either and now I can't seem to stop writing either of the fucking things that's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> that's great no. I got one more follow-up on this, Aaliyah, and then I'll let you, I'll, I swear to God, you can, answer, you can ask the next question, I swear to um, So, just you said something that I, that I just want to kind of latch on to there. You said you hate mm -hmm. short stories, but you're kind of like doing them yourself. You hate concept albums, you're doing mm. them yourself. So how do I, you kind of, how, how does that work? So, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't go as so far as to say I've, I've hated them, but they've never been quite, for me, I never quite... I, like, I had no issue with concept albums existed, but I was never particularly drawn to it. And then short stories, I've never particularly liked because like, you know, I love reading and I like something that I can be drawn into. And for me, a short story was, its shortness was what made it not really for me. Yeah. But um, yeah, um, you know, when the idea for this first album came to me, um, the logical, for me way of kind of laying out what was what the narrative arc of it what was happening and getting initially getting these ideas like out of my head into something more tangible was to write a short story um i i don't have the patience or the i think writing skill to have made a longer story out of it so like a novel so it was always definitely going to be a short story um and then yeah the second full length album is mm -hmm. Uh, it, that came from a. Mm. I want to try and give the general answer without giving anything away of it because that's quite in the future, sort of next yearish. But um, there was a, a specific sequence of it, four images, yeah, that um, were almost like kind of a, a mise en scène in each one that seemed to indicate a. Um, and again, this is something that came from a dream. Uh, which is so crappy and stereotypical but it, genuinely um so i've kind of actually sketched these out and described them and then said to a writer friend of mine you know you'd oblige me very much if you would make a short story out of this and i just you know thought i'd see what what he comes up with and you know if it worked out that it could then have a album based on it that was true to kind of the spirit of how i felt about these particular images then great and if it didn't then no harm done and i just had this little short story but yeah that seems to have worked out well so that's now with um again with bo and holly and we're already planning out the songs and the orchestration for that as well interesting okay over to you Olivia. well what an exciting time like um you're just coming onto the scene and uh kicking ass and taking names man um i'm excited to hear whatever's next um I did want to ask you uh, how you how you started working with Diana and what it's been like working with her. Um, I mean, they they say you should never meet your heroes, um, and it's I am here to tell you it's categorically untrue uh, because Diana is, uh, you know, we'll get onto the fact she's incredibly talented in a moment, but she is from the very start of this so engaged and gracious and cool to um, be involved with on this project. It's been really um really really nice i i initially knew of um her and damien actually from the same performance of uh from an Arion concert um the electric castle live and other stories and in songs of the ocean 
she came out with Marcella Bovio, who I already knew who she was. So I wanted to find out who's this other woman who's also got a great voice singing with Marcella. Um, because like I said, like I said in the other interview, actually, you know, I can sniff a dramatic soprano a mile off. Um, that's really my jam. So then I looked more into her and what she'd done and found performance footage of her singing live. And I just thought, this is, this is fucking wicked. Like, I love this. Um, and her involvement came time-wise slightly after Damien's did, because I'd initially written uh, the narration and everything um, of this album and thought it would be really cool if I could get Damien Wilson, who I also know from that performance because he came out singing the chorus and I just thought this this is the kind of singer that I want to be when I grow up. Like, um, So eventually got in touch with him, sent him some of the music, um, discussed all the other kind of arrangements that go with it and he was up for it so that's great. And then I kind of thought, oh that was cool, imagine doing the same thing with like someone like Diana, wouldn't that be amazing? And I had this kind of thought for ages and it occurred to me that there was no reason eventually occurred to me after an embarrassingly long period of time that there was no reason that I shouldn't actually just see if I could. And the same kind of process, wrote to her, sent her some music, she gave it a couple of spins over the weekend, um, and said yeah, she was up for it, so that was that was really cool. It's hard not to fanboy at times a bit because like they're incredible singers. Um, but yeah, just been really, really cool to work with. Diana's been really, yeah, gracious uh, is probably the best so she's been so engaged and everything with the project as well which is really really gratifying out of curiosity who's someone that you would like to work with um in the future floor jansen cool or arjen lucasen that was right off the bat you didn't even have to think about that that was like yep. boom yeah cool 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 um and why floor she's an incredible vocalist and um, she's got and that particular like belty sound as well, which obviously coming in issue for musical music, contemporary musical theatre, I value quite a lot. But yeah, you know, I love. Um, this is where we get to the, po the politics of Nightwish singers, but like I all I love Nightwish, the music of Nightwish. Anyway, two of us is a genius, and each of the three kind of vocalist eras of Nightwish have had something completely unique that they've contributed to it. Um, but for me, Floor can do all of it. Uh, in like all eras of it and the ones that have been originated kind of with her and then anything else as well that she that she does her voice is incredible like like Deanna like Damien she's the kind of singer that I'd love to be interesting um Aaliyah what's your take on this just out of curiosity because because Aaliyah is also a huge Nightwish fan I, I just want to I want to I want to hear if this is the same for her the floor what my take on floor yeah that's that's the thing about floor that makes her so amazing is that she can do everything and do everything excellently so yeah. he is kind of the epitome oh. of uh, you know artistic and um technicality as a vocalist yeah and it's not it's important to me especially as this is on the record as well to clarify that that's not to denigrate the other Nightwish singers either like obviously Ty like Tyre's voice informed to my understanding what Nightwish ended up being and that's huge and i think you know symphonic metal would have existed without the tire era nightwish but it would have been different um, yeah. and i think that can't be understated and then annette's completely different tone enabled them to go in a completely different direction that again they wouldn't have otherwise and have built on and also in the studio in that she was magic like dark passion play and imaginarium are incredibly complete 
uh, albums is just yeah. um for me floor is i think the first metal singer out of the three of them and so it ends up adding up really well and the algebra happens to be really satisfying but the others are great too cool um Aaliyah, uh, am i allowed to ask more nightwish questions or do you want to get it back on track one more nightwish question one more night question okay rank the nightwish albums in order for yourself <sighs> Fuck. Worth- that's you can have the best the best whole album i think yeah. dark passion play because it is obviously there are songs on other albums which i really really love possibly more than i like some of the songs on dark passion play but as a as a complete work dark passion play i just think is so cohesive and whole um let's do top three not the entire uh, best mm-hmm. of the work. They just realized they got a lot of albums. So let's That's just a good top idea. Three. Yeah. Top three. Top three. So Dark Passion Play. Nail Biter. Dark, mm, dark Passion Play. Imaginarum. And then it's a toss up between, and this is cheating, between their best of album. What? Or no, you didn't specify. You can't do a best. You can't Fuck. do a best. That's, um, that's, that's the rules. I'm sorry. And then either once or human nature, or as I like to think of it with that font, have uh, have Um because <laughs> some of the songs on once are, you know, are and will always be iconic and defined what the band would be to an extent, what the genre would be. And then human nature. Um, I, you know, I'm not primarily uh, a composer but it is i think a lot of it is a masterwork of composition but also the greatest show on earth is just an incredible track um and yeah cool i have uh, i I have you know the um you know when they when they do that live um and they have the we were here that comes on the back of the the screen the back of the stage i have um excuse the nipples i have that tattooed on my chest that's hilarious i love that so yeah Aaliyah, what's your top three just before, and then you can get us back on track here. Oh, God. Um, I have to say Once is my favorite, followed mm-hmm. closely by um, Dark Passion Play. Um, for my third, gosh. It's hard, isn't it? It's really hard. Yeah, they have so many great albums, and I, I would say I have, like, a top five, and then the others I'm kind of, like, not sure. But mm-hmm. let's see, if I have to pick... One more. One more. I honestly, I don't feel like either of the albums with Floor um, fall into my top three uh, albums. Like I love the songs on them, but I'm either, I think I'm going to have to go with either, let me see really quick. I think I I have to go with either Imaginarum or um, Century Child. Interesting. So oh, that's a good choice too. You guys both Century picked Child is so good. in your top three, which I think is kind of interesting because everybody always goes off about how she's not the best Nightwish person, but the two Nightwish fans that I know right now are both picking it, picking her albums as being in the top three. That's interesting. Yeah, you got a, you got, got a rough rap from lots of, like fans are brutal on female yep. vocalists anyway. Yep. And um, which is another thing I could talk about all day because I'm not impressed. But um, 
and it because it's what it was was something different and there's a there is a when a band gets big and is loved there is among a subsection of their fans a sense of entitlement to what that band does so if they want to change direction or have a you know dramatically change artistic and performance direction um like Nightwish did with Annette I mean she had stone stone at her in the street for fuck's sake like this it, I think it, went, it went beyond not liking the music for people and it was they were no longer getting what they had come to feel entitled to um yeah. and this isn't everyone but it was you know empty vessels make the loudest noises and these people were and are happy to be noisy about it and then obviously that's completely different to people who just found it wasn't to their taste like that's fair enough you know but um i think because of how noisy that chunk of people were and are it really got um combined with those two as well and there are still people in fan groups on facebook today who will complain about it uh and they're taking over from taria despite the fact that um neither of those people are with nightwish now they're both doing other things really well and it's just it's the height of disrespect i think to both of them because like they can be accomplished performers without being in this band that someone likes i agree so um we got about five or ten minutes left i don't know how much time on leah's we don't have a lot of time left so Aliyah, uh, if you want to take over the remaining key 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 points yeah well we can talk a little bit about how you've approached the promotion for the album and the single because it's been incredible to see your growth and uh, we just want to know what's your what your secret is uh to be honest um i haven't done any it's luck wait wait um, how, do you, how did you get into Louder with Dumb Luck? That doesn't make any sense. Like, Louder is like the biggest publication in the UK for metal. So I sent them a press release. Yeah, did you do that... all your press releases yourself? Yeah. So wow. I just, I said the press release, like, I mean, you know, it's, it was a fairly comprehensive press release. If I say so myself, like it had links to Google Drives with pictures, tracks in, uh, full and short bios put some handy quotes in the press release in case people want to use that um in you know in, don't want to like get in touch with you to ask you for one like particular that they want and just yeah you know i i want to make you know if you want something out of anyone in this industry especially if you're not sending it to them something to them with a fee you have to make what you're asking of them as easy as possible so i just spent a couple of days working on a shit hot press release basically sent it out with a nice polite hopeful message and um yeah very gratified brave words and uh, louder in particular stuck out to me though there's been a good few others as well um also you know the louder one may also just have been blind luck in that uh shortly before that uh ritual who was the other band that diana had featured with recently they, they had done i think the same thing and they were in it so uh, there had already been something with diana but yeah Luck. Um, I've no no PR on this really. It's just been kind of. I'm fortunate in that, you know, the other artists who are involved are incredible at what they do, and people already know that. So it's just kind of bled out. Yes, you kind of latched on to their notoriety to get in there, which is smart. I'm not I'm not dissing you or anything by saying that, but I'm just pointing out. So you kind of went and you took because they'd already featured her. Yeah, so with Louder specifically, Diana was already, they, you know, I would have written to them anyway, but I think the fact that she was already recently on their radar with another feature, I imagine that it helped. I don't know. I wasn't there. I, but, um, yeah. Guarantee you it helped for sure, 100%. Um, okay, so 
just out of curiosity on the press release, did you, did you kind of feature her as being like the main draw or did you kind of like, did you highlight that in the subject line or if you're willing to say? Um, do you know, I honestly can't remember. It was, um, because I sent out, I think it was, I think the subject line was just the name of the song and then Archie right. Kane featuring the other Hughes So, um, but yeah, so like obviously she's in the press release because obviously she's in the song, but yeah. Um, yeah. nothing more, I think, than that. Cool. And then um, also for the promotion of it, so you got Brave Words, you got Louder, I think you got a few others, I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, so with Brave Words, it was kind of like a similar thing, you just sent them the press release and you said, I got her on here, blah, 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 type of a thing. Yeah, um, and they were, kind of, they were really cool as well, so I've just sent, you know, the press release basically the singles coming out but it's from the full album which also features damien wilson has all the things you know assets can be linked to here if yep. you want to listen to some other tracks sneakily here's a private soundcloud link um here's you know everything i can think of that you might need in a pdf yep. cool um and then another follow-up to that is um how many press releases do you think you sent out total to get those um about 50. Okay, you're doing pretty okay. You're getting pretty good results with okay. That's not like super high, but it's not super low either. But pretty good. Okay, cool. Um, and then how have you how have you been kind of uh, trying to get people to review the album? Or are you not even going there? Uh, I haven't really, to be honest. Uh, someone wrote to me saying um, the a, a professional contact of theirs uh, had um had a press release and had thought they might be interested so uh would i mind uh sending them some more music if them to review at some point if they were able to but yeah cool. in general it's just you know uh, that isn't something i thought about hugely on the basis of you know i have it, it reviews why have enough to think about in terms of the, the people who are listening to it if they like it or not so anyone who wants to review it kind of for press purposes it's just a bonus really fair enough um and what what else do you have for plans for promoting the upcoming release more of the same really i shall send out another press release um for the 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 full album um but yeah it's just i'm really fortunate in that there's some people now who are really kind of engaged in it with the single already and looking forward to hearing more um so yeah, nothing too dramatic, more of the same and cross my fingers and everything, really. And I got one more question on promotion, one more well, kind of like sales aspect thing. Are you pushing more your digital or are you pushing for physical sales more? Because I, you showed the CD, so obviously mm. you got... I have, yeah, I have CDs. Yes. It's, not, it's not a CD seller's market at the moment in general, but yep. I wanted to have them anyway. And I figure if they don't immediately all disappear, then, you know, they're not going to go moldy. I have them for however long. Um, it's it's tricky because on the one hand, I'd love it if absolutely everyone bought a CD uh, for me because that would be really useful for things like uh, paying rent and um, mixing engineers. But equally, people streaming helps it get in front of other people who haven't heard it before. And it's it's the musician's curse in the, 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 the dreaded s word spotify's area mm -hmm. so um i'm feeling whichever i get i feel intensely fortunate for so you know what is what do you benefit 
What do you think of CDs out of curiosity? I like CDs. Uh, you know, that's my kind of, you know, my teen self-discovery heyday that everyone has kind of in their adolescence where they're really starting to figure out what their tastes are, who they are as a person. If that was in the CD era where you would go down to HMV, in my case being a Brit, buy a CD and go home and listen to it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I like a CD. I, I like an LP, but not as much as CDs, um, which is a dangerous statement in some parts of uh, music consumption world today. Um, it is. But, you know, I, I'm of the opinion that uh, the reason that people report a much better sound quality with LPs is because people who listen to primarily to LPs are more likely to have a bigger and more expensive sound system. Um, mm. uh, yeah. Confounding factors of research. My, that's a good thought. Mm -hmm. so <laughs> Don't get me if, if there was enough market for it, I'd love to do an LP run for, for this as well. But at the moment, I am only certain of two people who would want to buy one. And um, that is not cost effective. <laughs> nay, nay, sir. <laughs> um, I think that's all I got on the promotion and sales end, Aaliyah. Do we have anything else we want to go over with them? Um, if you could maybe think of three things you've learned from, again, the promo or the production side of this that you would give out as advice, top three things you learned that could translate as tips for other musicians, what would they do? Oh, God, see, almost everything, um, because this is the first time I've done anything like this. So almost everything has been me learning the least efficient way to do anything. Um, I th to be honest, I think the biggest and best piece of advice I would give is uh, the, um, actually something I've learned from my childhood drama teacher at theatre school, Leslie Ann Albiston, who's in fact mentioned in the album, um, the liner notes, because it's such an important lesson for me is, you know, being afraid to do something isn't an excuse to you to not do it. Like I could have done this 10, 15 years ago, but um, I was too involved with what if it didn't work out? Um, what if I'm not good enough at it? And uh, obviously things, you know, it, it now is when it is happening. So I'm not beating myself up about it not being now because this is how things are working out and who knows what it might have been like if it wasn't. But don't get in your own way too much. The worst that will happen is something that doesn't quite work out and then you end up doing something else instead or going in a different direction or just something that is a you have a, something that's a bit of a mistake and then you learn from that all the ways to not do things. But yeah, don't don't get in your own way because um, that's what I've been doing for the last decade at least. And I'm only just starting to do things that I would want to do now. Cool. We got anything else, Leah? All right. Well, uh, please shout out your music. Where can people follow you? Where can people listen to your music? Oh, everywhere. Uh, everywhere you would listen to music, um, I think, you know, um, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or shortly there will be available for sale CDs, uh, which would make me very happy because. Um, so far, the only person who hasn't made money out of this album being produced is me. So um, that's how it goes. Yeah, which is fine. But I like buying food and paying rent. So buy my CDs and my merch when it is available. All right, everyone. Archie Kane, look up the single Eden. The album Tommy and the Angels is coming out soon. 
Um, April the 22nd. Thank you. And make sure to check out his music. And until next time, make like a bull and throw those horns up. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word by leaving us a five-star review on your platform of choice. You can also join the conversation by following us on any social media and suggesting guests or topics you'd like to learn more about. Thanks for listening to C-Squared.